Welcome back to Great Move North. More light and longer days opens opportunities to explore stunning surroundings for those who've decided to swap a cityscape for something seriously different. If you've ever wondered if a move is for you, or even if you're just about to do it, then this might be the place for you. We meet the people who've made that move and jumped. Like thousands of other Kiwis, Steve Ward headed to the UK to explore, see the old country, and maybe find a kickstart in the game he loves, rugby. But unlike those famous men in black, Steve favoured the 13-man rugby league code. That meant a great move north into Leagues Heartland, where he built a business and then found himself launching an unexpected odyssey. It may soon see the creation of a remarkable landmark built on the back of one child's question about the future of our planet. Steve Ward, good to see you again. Hey Tony, how are you? I'm pretty good. Now that's not a Yorkshire accent, so tell me where you're from, Steve. Right, so I was actually born in England, Tony, um, but we emigrated to New Zealand when I was young because my father was in the forces, um, and I came back in my early 20s, uh, back to, to Yorkshire, um, following the rugby dream, uh, which was fun for a couple of years, but it didn't it didn't last like it doesn't. And, were you uh, a, were you a pro? Did you come back? Um, I, I came over trying to be. Um, a friend of mine was a pro at Bramley, so I came over and joined him. Um, but at the time, I was a bit of a lump. Um, forwards were, were changing at that point, and they were ball handlers as well as tacklers. And unfortunately, I wasn't a ball handler, so I, I kind of became obsolete shall we say, in the game. And, um, but no, I loved it while I was over here. Played quite a lot of amateur after that. Um, and yeah, ended up staying. And, and yeah, yeah, Yorkshire's been my home for, for 30 years now. And you didn't consider going back then to New Zealand? I did for a while, but, but time just rolls on. You know, you meet people and opportunities arise. And, uh, and I ended up staying. You know, it's, a, um, it's not a bad part of the world to be in, to be fair. Um, it's got a lot of similarities with New Zealand. Um, and like I said, I met my wife, um, we've had our children, and, um, and yeah, I've got a business set up, and it's, yeah, I enjoy life here. All the Kiwis are meant to do the OE, and they all seem to end up in and around London. How come you didn't go there? They don't play rugby league in London, Tony. <laughs> it's, uh, yeah, yeah. I've, I've never, it's strange, growing up in New Zealand, I've never been a fan of playing rugby union. I love watching it, but not playing it, so rugby league's where it was at. And so that's what drew me up this way. So, Fantastic. So the family, the business, you're doing well um, in the north of England. And you mentioned you see similarities with the New, the new Zealand landscape. Tell us about that. Yeah, it, it's nice to have the countryside on your doorstep. Um, obviously, growing up, we grew up on the outskirts of Auckland. Um, you're five minutes away from the beaches and, and the, you know, the beautiful countryside. So, and, and over here in Yorkshire, it's the same thing. You, know, you, you drive straight through Leeds and, and you're out into this beautiful countryside. And it's, um, you know, obviously this part of the world is just, you, know, you can't miss it. Um, the one thing trouble is, you know, that I find is traffic getting anywhere. And New Zealand, we don't have that issue. But over here, you can get snail up for four hours to get to the most beautiful part of the world. So. Um, but yeah, once you're there, it's, it's all worthwhile. And there's lots of interesting landscape items there's lots of public space um, landmarks in this part of the world but you also came to um, a pivotal point in your life when you looked at introducing a new landmark into the local scenery tell me a little bit about that idea Steve what was it what was it you wanted to do 
So the Earth Pyramid, I'm, I'm guessing we're talking about now, Tony. So back in 2009, um, the Copenhagen Climate Change Conference was on. And basically all the delegates walked out. And, and my daughter at the time said to me, well, what about our future dad? Um, and we got thinking about this. And How old we, was she? She was 16 at the time. So, um, and, and she was actually quite upset about it because she said, basically, so the governments aren't going to do anything. Um, they're just leaving it up to us to sort out when we're older. So we had to think about it and thought, well, if we could create a time capsule, but get the world leaders to contribute to it, um, you know, writing letters to future generations, it might get them thinking more about the future of the planet um, and, and try and trigger something off in them to, to do a little bit more than they were. So it was young people then who were driving the idea of writing to world leaders. Yeah, so it was my family, you know, my, my kids in the family that, that wanted, you know, the world leaders to, to take more action. Um, the basic concept for the time capsule was to get a section where the world leaders could write. Um, then at the base of it, we thought we could get children to like f- do a small contribution, like a business card sized piece of paper with their thoughts, hopes and dreams for the future of the planet on it. Um, it'd be great to store those in the, in the base of this structure as well. Um, and that will give future generations a chance to look back at our time to see how the younger generation felt about the age we're living in. You know, I, I don't know. I think every generation feels like they're living a special time in history. But I think our children are living in the most turmoil time in history at the moment with the environment going on. Obviously, the current situation in the world is, is as well. Um, so I think to capture a snapshot of this for future generations would be an amazing thing. So that was 12 or 13 years ago. And yep. the environmental agenda has grown exponentially in the last 10 years. Um, and you're still holding on to the dream. What's happening now with that project? Tell me a little bit more about it. Okay, well, we, like I said, it started as a simple concept. What we actually did was we wrote to every world leader asking him to participate in this. Um, and believe it or not, we got 25 um, countries reply back to us saying they'd like to take part. So that spurred us on to, to continue with this. Um, and, and it's really developed over the past 13 years now. Um, we've got a company called Arup involved. Now, Arup built the Sydney Opera House, Beijing Olympic Stadium. They've been helping us with the structure um, of the, the Earth Pyramid, as the project's called. Um, and what it is, it's basically a new pyramid we're going to be building. Now, it's nowhere near the size of the Great Pyramid, um, but the size of it is big enough that it's going to be an incredible space to house this global time capsule. So... Using modern techniques, mimicking the pyramid, the, 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 the pyramids that we're all familiar with in Egypt? Yeah, so we're going to use, obviously with Arab involved, we're going to be using a lot of modern techniques and modern technology, but we're also going to open up a whole side of it to testing out ancient theories. Um, there's no point building a pyramid and not taking this opportunity to, you know, have a look at how the ancients tried to do it. So, so that's a big part of it, which is going to be very exciting as far as the construction goes. Um, but the idea is we're going to make this whole process fun, you know. Um, it's potentially going to generate about $14 billion, US dollars, for peace and environmental projects, which is a huge amount of money. Um, and it's a shame because peace and environmental projects are some of the most underfunded projects out there, yet they're two of the most important issues our children are facing. Absolutely. And speaking in March 2022, there are probably no bigger issues facing the planet than those two that you've just flagged, peace and environment. But what's happening in terms of support and 
taking the project forward? Well, we've been looking for a home for the Earth Pyramid for a long time. Uh, the whole project's been self-funded up to this point. But, you know, obviously people like Arup have, have given their time for free over the past 13 years, um, which has been incredible. Um, but it looks like we finally found a home. We've uh, contacted the Senator for Tourism in Senegal a while ago. Uh, Senegal's doing some incredible projects at the moment, and it's really driving the country forward. Uh, and he's contacted us back, and he's actually in the process of securing land for us in Senegal for construction of the Earth Pyramid. Now, once we've got a home for the Earth Pyramid, we can start with the whole funding package for construction um, and everything else can start to move forward. So this is a major step for us at the moment. Why not in the surroundings that we're sitting in now? Why not Yorkshire? Well, we have tried. I mean, say, over the past 13 years, we've contacted, obviously, Leeds City Council, Bradford City Council um, to try and secure land. But I think the trouble with England is it, it's, most of the land is designated for something. Um, and trying to get hold of that land, especially, can you imagine walking into an office and saying, we've got an idea to build a pyramid? It's been, it's been a tough call trying to, trying to get people to listen. Although we've had people, no, Bradford University have been incredible. You know, the start of the project and that, four different departments, the Peace Department, the Polymer Department, um, the Business Department, um, and I forget what the other part was, but they all helped us out. Really? You know, um, and I understand you've got some international support then as well. You mentioned um, from the building and the academic side. What about globally? Um, who else is backing you? So we've got a, this company in Australia called CodeBots. They do uh, coding for apps and, and, and various things. So they're going to help us design the Earth Pyramid app. Um, like I say, they're based in Australia. Uh, we've got a guy called Clive Billinus, who's a top one of the top people in the world for digital preservation. He's based in France. Um, Clive's going to be helping us out there. Obviously, we've got the Senegal links. Um, you know, we, we've had in Malaysia, we've had support from over there for the educational side of it. So, And the research into how pyramids were built, um, who's, who's guiding you on that? So there's a guy called Jean-Pierre Houdin. Now, he's been living and breathing pyramids for all his life, basically. His father was before him. And he came up with a theory of how the ancient pyramids were built called the internal ramp theory. Now, he's recently, over the past couple of years, been leading a project in Egypt um, with a muon technology, it's called, which basically scans the pyramid. And they found a giant void above the Grand Gallery in the Great Pyramid. Um, so it's incredibly exciting stuff because this, there's a giant void in the Great Pyramid that no one knows what it's for, what it exactly looked like, but we wow. know it's there. Wow. So, and Jean-Pierre's been working with us for about 12 years now. Um, so when the Earth Pyramid construction side of things starts, you know, we expect Jean-Pierre to be at the forefront of, of, of helping us plan out how we do it. Give me some scale then in terms of your vision versus the Great Pyramid. What are we talking about in terms of size? So when you start talking about pyramids, people automatically think of the Great Pyramid. Um, but they don't realise there's pyramids all around the world. They're in China, Eastern Europe, South America. Um, now our pyramid sits on the scale. It's, it's, a, it's a big lump, but it's nowhere near as big as those. In scale-wise, it would fit inside the Great Pyramid about 27 times. So, but it's still 50 metres high, and each base length would be about 75 metres. So it's, it's, it's still, a big, um, still a big construction project. And people listening to this who are interested in seeing the project move forward, what can they do? How can they find out more? Well, our um, website is called earth, www.earthpyramid.org. Um, and it's a load of information on there about the project and what we're trying to achieve. Um, and I think the next phase for us is securing the land in Senegal. That, that's going to be a huge push. 
once that goes, we can start feeding more information about uh, basically about what the project stands for and, and what it aims to achieve on there. Like I said, the financial side of it is huge. You know, I'm talking about $14 billion, um, which sounds like a ridiculous amount of, of, of money, but it's easily achievable through this project. You know, it's, it's something that when you look at it, it it's such a simple idea. Um, there's no reason why it couldn't achieve that. So this time capsule notion, explain to me a little bit more about how that works. Okay, so you've got there's four different you know, chambers within the Earth Pyramid. Um, the, the basic one at the bottom would be, like I say, the children's chamber we've discussed, where every child will get a chance to put a small card in the bottom. And all you have with a small card, it's got to be acid-free paper with a graphite pencil, because we know that will last for a thousand years. Um, so they'll all be sealed in the base of the chamber. And then you've got the digital preservation chamber. Now, that's an online app where you can upload videos, photographs, blogs, whatever you want onto your, your disk space. Then they get transferred onto preservation media that will be stored within the Earth Pyramid. And they'll last for a thousand years. The, the current technologies we're looking at, um, we should be able to achieve those figures. Um, then obviously we have the, the uh, government and indigenous peoples chamber. Um, the Indigenous Peoples Chamber is an important one, actually. There's a lot of Indigenous peoples out there that are facing huge pressures because of environmental issues um, and governmental issues. So to capture a snapshot of them while they still exist is an important part of the project. Um, and then we have the Founders Chamber, which will cover the cost for the whole construction. Okay. Now, the Founders Chamber will have a thousand time capsules, about half metre square, that we purchased by probably some of the most influential people in the world. Um, there will only ever be a thousand spaces within the Founders Chamber. Now, they are expensive. They're about a million dollars each, which will cover the cost of the whole construction of the Earth Pyramid and the Children's Chamber, getting the children around our world to contribute to that. Um, and so there's a stonemason, master stonemason in York called Simon Tyson. Now, Simon's created the first time capsule for the Founders Chamber. Um, it's made out of a, a solid piece of stone from Tadcaster Quarry. Um, and it's incredible. I mean, say so that the detail of the carving in it is is unbelievable. If we, if we can, it's a shame I can't show you a picture on the the podcast because it's 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 exquisite what he's done. And so that's ready to go. I mean, to say that. What's the size? Give us an idea. Of so scale. it's a half meter cube, basically. Okay. Um, the lid comes off, even though it's been carved. Uh, it still weighs about two hundred and fifty kilos. Does this time capsule? But that's the, the first one. We needed to, to create something where people could physically see what we're trying to achieve with the first time capsule. And, and, and you know, Simon's created that. Um, and I, I think the beauty of this is it's going to be a, a creative process for whoever gets involved in this as well. So you've got that state-of-the-art technology. You're talking about really advanced digital preservation. Yeah. And alongside that, you've got pyramid original building techniques Tell yeah. me about that. Yeah, well, I, I think this is the beauty of this project. We we are looking at cutting edge technology, but we're also looking at going old school. You know, the, these are you know the, the pyramids are ancient structures that were built by hand, um, and I think it's the combination of both those things that makes the, the project so exciting. Um, we've actually got the first block of pyramid stone that's been carved for us. Really? Um, yeah, Moan Brothers Quarry in uh, in Yorkshire, in, in Leeds, have actually created the first pyramid block. And it's actually sitting on a wooden sled waiting to go to Senegal or wherever we get the, the land. So um, That's interesting because just before we sat down, Steve, you were telling me you did an online presentation to some um, colleagues in Australia yesterday. And you've mentioned... Why we've been chatting Indigenous peoples. Yeah. Um, 
one thinks of Australasia. Yeah. When you say in Senegal or wherever it gets built, does that yeah. mean there's opportunities for it to be built elsewhere still? Well, there is. I mean, say so Senegal's obviously we're, we're we're banking on. We've put a lot of work into getting it there now. Um, but the, but the Earth Pyramid needs a home. Um, and I think wherever you build it in the world, it's, it's obviously it's not going to be ideal. There's always going to be someone that says there's a reason why it shouldn't be built there. Um, but I think the Earth Pyramid is such a structure that that's going to capture people's imagination. We can put it anywhere in the world. So there are other opportunities out there. Um, if Senegal doesn't come off, that's not the end of the dream. You know, there are other places we can find. Um, so, but I think that the, the biggest part, the biggest trouble we've had is whenever you do a project like ours, it's so out there, it's getting people to really take a look at what we're trying to achieve. Um, now, if you haven't got the funding and you haven't got the, the support or the contacts, you've got to fight for every bit you can get. The amazing thing I found about this project is when people really take the time to look and, and try and understand what we're trying to achieve, they get on board and they get, get with the project. Um, it's the people that take a fleeting glance and think they're trying to build a pyramid, ridiculous. Um, they're the ones that walk away. Um, and it's, but it's the people like Arup, um, like the Jean-Pierre's, uh, Vincent Brown in Australia who supported us. He's a, an Egyptologist, been incredible with his support. Um, Simon Hare, we're doing all the video work. So I think it, it's getting that message out there and, and holding people's attention long enough for them to take a look at what we're actually trying to achieve here. So if you hold on to that thought about the vision and yeah. preserving the idea, how on earth have you managed to keep your enthusiasm and focus over 12, 13 years since this thing first grew out of the conversation with your daughter? Yeah, I, th I think... It's been hard over 13 years to keep motivation going, especially when, you know, you do try so hard. And, and the reasons we're doing this are, are positive reasons, you know. It can make a huge difference for peace and environmental projects. Um, what we have done is we've spiced things up a bit. So when we got really bored with it, we try something a bit different, like the experiments we were doing, um, you know, with ancient theories and that. We, we took six months out and did that, and it was fantastic. It, it kind of... It breaks the cycle of, of the drudgery of just trying to get your message across to people. Um, but the other thing is as well, I think we truly believe in what we're doing here. You know, we, we wouldn't have carried on for 13 years if we didn't. Um, you know, there, there's so many positives to come from this. You know, all the profits that we make will be going towards peace and environmental projects. Now, that $14 billion fund will be going towards peace and environmental projects. There's no shareholders. There's no one going to be taking a big cut out of this. Um, you know, it, it, it's a, almost a business designed to make money for peace and environmental projects, which is unique, you know, definitely a unique concept in the world. So throwing things forward another dozen years yeah. and this, this has come to fruition, will people be able to interact with it, visit it, get involved in the project? Yeah, well, one of the things is, I mean, the reason Arup are involved in this and have been all the way through is, Wherever this is built, they say they want to make an impact to the local community. So if we build this in Senegal, it's not just about building the Earth Pyramid and walking away. We're going to be looking at local issues as far as um, sustainability, um, farming, things like that, to see how Arup can actually, you know, help the local community out um, in the long run. You know, there's no point just dropping this there and walking away if the local community, you know, aren't impacted in a positive way. So that's, that's our aim with this is... Wherever it's built, it's going to create a focal point for tourism within the country, you know, which will help the local economy out. You know, it's, it's, it's just going to have a real positive impact wherever this is built. 
So it's a tourist attraction, mm. but it's sending a really powerful message. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, it is, yeah. If you think that there's very few structures in the world, in fact, there's no structures in the world that have a personal connection with people. You know, you can go visit the pyramids, but, you know, there's nothing personally connected to that. The Earth Pyramid will be completely unique in this way. You can walk up to the Earth Pyramid and think, I've actually got something inside there that's not going to be seen for a thousand years. Now, that, that stirs the imagination. And I, and I think it's important with this because it's, you know, it, it's a very much a, an active project. You know, we want people to interact with it. We want to people to be feel like they're part of this. Um, now, if you can imagine from a tourism perspective, you know, that, that's going to be a, a hell of a pull for people to go and see it. And in UK terms, in England terms, one looks at things like um, the Eden Project, Angel of the North, Big Wheel in London, the Shard commercial. Some of these are commercial, some of them are tourist attractions. It's yeah. none of those. There's little bits of each of those. There's an attractor, but each of those had the, the vision that then led to the thing appearing. That's the driving issue, isn't it? That's the key to get that vision turned into reality. Well, I, th- I think this is the thing. There's, I mean, so there are some incredible things out. The Eden Project's incredible. You know, it's, it's from the simple concept that Tim Smith's had to create what he's done is, is, is absolutely amazing. And I think this is the thing. It's, it, you've got to be stirred. There's got to be a passion there. There's got to be something that, that ticks you off to want to make a difference you know it was my daughter you know all these years ago now that the family's been involved all the way through this um and it 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 has been a struggle to keep the motivation going do they get sick of you yes in a word tony yeah (laughs) but they can't get too sick of me because this was this was their concept as well my daughter tia came up with the children's card chamber idea you know my daughter hallie's been doing the social media you know my son ty's been involved my wife's been heavily involved so this is part of them as well and that passion comes through as we're chatting steve because you mentioned tim smith and tim smith's now taking his vision to the north as well that's right yeah you know i, I think once you get people involved in it you know it, it, it was almost like a steamroller you know these things start off slowly and all of a sudden it, it builds up momentum and, and you get to the point where People listen and people love what what's you know being done. Tim Smith has done an incredible thing in the south of England to bring that to the north now. You know that, that it's what the north needs is things like that. And anybody listening to this, will they be able to see the pyramid block that you've talked about from the Yorkshire Quarry and the advanced technology in the time capsule? Well, yeah, what we're gonna do at some point is fingers crossed after we get the Senegal um, land secured. We're going to do a display up in Yorkshire, give a presentation um, and, and put everything we've, we've achieved over the past 13 years out for everyone to see. And it, it, I mean, so the time capsule itself is, is an incredible thing. The pyramid block. I mean, so this is an actual block that's going to be going into a pyramid. One of those hasn't been seen for about four and a half thousand years. So, so yeah, the, you know, we, we want people to get a chance to have a look and, and interact with all these things. Anyone tried to move it? Yes, we've tried. I think we've got up to seven people so far trying to pull it, and we still can't do it with seven. So um, this thing, well, I mean, so how the ancients did it is, is just mind-blowing. This is incredibly small compared to what they moved. Um, so I think, yeah, there's a lot more theory testing to be done before we actually, uh, before we actually start to, to put these things into practice. Sounds like you need to get on the phone and get a few more rugby players over from New Zealand to help with the poll. I think, so. actually, unbelievably, Jamie Peacock ran past our house the other night and I was going to drag him and pull him in and ask him if he could give us some advice on that. But, um, but yeah, no, it's a, uh, yeah, I mean, say we, we're going to need to do quite a lot more testing, but that's going to be the fun side of things. You know, this is a, um, 
you know, that, that, that side of it, you know, and even getting school children involved, if we can get a rope long enough and get a class trying to pull a block, they're becoming part of history. You know, they're, they're, they're living and breathing what they're learning at school. Well, I'm being a bit selfish, Steve. I do wish you well with Senegal, but there's a part of me says I hope it might just sneak into the north. It would be wonderful. <laughs> well, if there's anyone listening that's got 15 hectares of land, we'd love to talk to you. Steve Ward, thank you very much. Thanks, Tony. <laughs>